As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 today, and then we'll also be in Matthew chapter 1. We've been in this Christmas series called Looking Forward, where we've been looking at some of the Old Testament passages that uh, foretold of the birth of Christ. And one of the things that we've discovered is that the birth of Christ is no accident, that it was not just a standalone event in time, but that the birth of Christ was part of the divine plan of God. The Son of God, Jesus, did not come into existence at Bethlehem. He has always been, He is, and always will be. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Creator took up residence among us and became flesh. And of course, the baby did not just stay a baby, but Jesus grew grew in wisdom and stature, and He eventually died on the cross for your sins and mine as our Redeemer. And then through the resurrection, He brings to us salvation, power over life and death so that we might be forgiven of our own sins and so that we might live forever with Him in heaven. And then we look forward to the second coming whenever Jesus comes again, not as the innocent baby of Bethlehem, but whenever Jesus comes again, he will come as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Whenever you read your Bible, and I hope that in your life you practice the spiritual discipline of reading your Bible every day. Whenever you read your Bible, you begin to see the story of God unfold on every page of Scripture. And as you see the story of God unfold from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to see that the story of God is actually the story of you, that God created you to be a part of His divine story. One of the things that I love about the Bible is you have 66 books written over a period of about 2,000 years by almost 40 authors. They wrote from three different continents. They didn't have great knowledge of one another. They wrote before the printing press. They wrote long before the Internet. They wrote before Amazon.com. They wrote before 4K UHD TV. And yet, as they wrote, there is this amazing continuity of thought. If you look at the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you see that with all these different writers throughout all these different years, the Bible maintains one clear theme that runs through every page. The story of the God of the universe intervening into the dark scene of humanity so that we might be redeemed and that our lives might be used to bring glory to God here on earth and forever. The story of God is the story of you, and you were created to be a part of God's divine story and His will for this universe. Well, today we look at a prophet, a man by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. He was a prophet to the nation of Judah, which was a part of Israel. The area of Israel that was right around Jerusalem was known as Judah. Well, the king of Judah was a man by the name of Ahaz, and Ahaz had a tremendous problem. He was a coward. Now, if you're the king of an ancient civilization, 
one of the worst traits that you can have is being a coward. But King Ahaz was afraid. The Aramites and their army had formed an alliance with Israel. And so the Aramites were sharpening their spears, and they had their battle plans laid out, and they had developed a plan that they would overthrow Jerusalem, they would kill King Ahaz and his family, and then they would put their own person on the throne to reign there in Jerusalem. So the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 2, when it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people, now get the imagery here, trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. Has anybody ever been out in the woods or out in a forest whenever they begin shaking in the wind? You ever had that experience? It can, it can bring quite a bit of fear to you because those trees bend like crazy. And as the wind blows and those trees begin to blow, uh, you start having branches fall. And occasionally, you might hear one of those large trees come tumbling down. The old saying, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a noise? I can assure you, it makes a noise because I've heard a few of those trees fall in the forest and they do indeed make a large noise. Well, King Ahaz's heart was trembling with fear like trees shaking in the forest. And so God comes to Isaiah and this is what God tells Isaiah. He says to say to him, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering stubs of firebrands. So basically, God is telling Isaiah to go to the king, Ahaz, and tell him, get a hold of yourself, man. God's in control, and he's going to reduce these two kings to just stubs of firewood. And you just need to relax as if you were relaxing in front of a great fire, a nice warm fire on a cold day like today. Because God's got this. So Isaiah meets up with this trembling king Ahaz, this nervous guy. And Isaiah says to him, hey, dude, relax. That's the last version of what he said. But, you know, relax. God has a plan. But Ahaz is still an absolute nervous wreck. So God appears to the king and he says, ask me for a sign. I'll give you a sign to to show you that I am in control and that I have a plan. Ahaz says, no way, I'm not going to ask you, God, for a sign. So the Bible says in verse 14, one of the verses that we often quote at Christmas time, the Bible says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, when that verse was written, it was written in the context of, of God trying to communicate to a trembling king, you can trust me because I have a plan. And as you look at King Ahaz's life, the Lord had sent him a prophet, Isaiah. Do you know what Isaiah's name means? The name Isaiah is the Lord means the Lord saves. And then God says, King, I'm, I'm going to send you a sign that I have a plan. The virgin will conceive. You will have, he, she will have a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? 
you probably have a better idea of knowing that. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So God is trying to say to this trembling king, I have a plan. I am the God who saves. I've sent you Isaiah, and now I send you Emmanuel. And so you know that I am not forsaking you. I am here. I will save you. Well, what happened to King Ahaz? Well, before a child was old enough to walk and talk, God delivered Judah from the Aramite army. But then King Ahaz continued to run towards darkness and continued to run towards his fears. And eventually the Assyrian army rose up and the Jews were captured and they were thrown into centuries of darkness where they awaited the coming of the one who would be born of the virgin, the one who would see us, who would show us that God is with us. Now remember from what I talked about earlier in the message, the Bible reveals to us one big story, the story of God. And we see the story of God running through the stories of men and women. All those Bible stories ultimately point to the big story, the story of God. Whenever I was in high school at Keller High School, my English teacher, Mrs. Worsham, she used to teach us how a good author would sometimes foreshadow what was going to happen in the story. And when they were really, really good, you wouldn't really understand that they were foreshadowing until you got to that next point in the story. And then you could look back and you could say, hey, the author was looking forward whenever they wrote. Well, God often foreshadowed Jesus in the Bible. Many of the Old Testament stories actually point to the fact God has a plan. And God is going to redeem people who believe in His Son. Do you remember the story of Noah and the ark? We're all familiar with Noah and the ark. And so you have the the great flood and you have God pouring out His wrath on sin. And all those that were in the ark were saved. Why? Because they trusted God and God saved them in the ark. Well, the Bible tells us that that is a type, a theological term, a type. It is foreshadowing Jesus Christ. How all those who believe in Christ are baptized by the Holy Spirit, placed in Christ. God sees us in Christ, and so we have salvation, not because of how good we are, but we have salvation because we are in Christ. Noah and the ark foretold of salvation in Christ. In Numbers chapter 21, we have one of the great horror stories of the Bible. In fact, you want to keep your kids up all night? Just read them Numbers 21 before they go to bed. It'll do the trick. Numbers 21, fiery snakes invade the camp of the Israelites. By fiery, the Bible means poisonous. Now, how many of you like snakes? How many of you have a snake phobia? Yeah, quite a few. Well, all y'all just love snakes. Huh? How many have a snake phobia? Okay, I, I, don't, I don't like those things too much, you know. You can have your pet snake all you want. But in Numbers 21... These poisonous snakes start slithering into the camp, and people are getting bit, and they're dying. Literally, they are infested with snakes. So imagine you go to bed at night, you pull back the sheet, woo, there's a snake right there. Imagine uh, you're getting up in the morning, and you're trying to get your cereal, and so you go to the Captain Crunch bin, and you open it up, and there's a snake right there. And not just any kind of snake, but a poisonous snake that if it bites you, you're going to die. So the people come to Moses and say, hey, Moses, we have a problem here. We're dying. And so God comes to Moses and says, you take one of those fiery snakes, 
You place it up on a pole. And when someone gets bit by a snake, you have them come and look at that snake on a pole. And if they do that, they will live. They were being told to trust in God and His plan. Now that passage, that story in Numbers 21 was pointing to the plan of God. It was revealing that God was working in the lives of his people because that snake on the pole was supposed to be a symbol of how Christ would die on the cross and he would take on the poison of our sin. And those of us who look to Christ, though we are dying in our sin and our flesh is failing, whenever we look to Christ, instead of death, we will have life. Over and over again, the Bible in the Old Testament points to the fact that God has a plan, and it points to Jesus Christ. This virgin in Isaiah 7, conceiving and giving birth to Emmanuel, is intended to foreshadow the fact that Mary was going to give birth to the Christ child. And in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew actually makes this connection. So go with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. We have what is the Christmas story, and we would be uh, well served to read the Christmas story here the week before Christmas. The Bible says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now look at verse 23. Because here, Matthew undeniably connects the birth of Jesus to what Isaiah prophesied centuries before. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, let's say it together, God is with us. So in both stories... We see God's people in a time of crisis. In both stories, we see a man who is trying to figure it out. You have King Ahaz who is nervous and trembling, and you have Joseph who's not sure what to do. Should I divorce Mary? Should I go ahead and marry her? Should I try to do this as discreetly as possible? In both stories, God sends a messenger, and the message is very simple. Do not be afraid because God is in control. In both stories, a sign is given. A virgin becomes pregnant, gives birth. The child's name is Emmanuel, and the child is a sign to God's people that God is with us. So you have two stories, but you have one common reality, and that is that before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan long before. Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. God had a plan. Not only did God have a plan for the world, but God had a plan for Mary and Joseph. And God's plan was for them 
to be a part of His divine plan. And I also want to say this to you today. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. You're not an accident. You are a custom-made creation of God. And God has a desire and a will for your life to be a part of what He is doing. Now, the funny thing about God's plan is that it's often a lot different than our own plans. You ever write the story for your life and you envision this is how my life is going to go and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to be and you have this great story for how your life is supposed to unfold and then you have your life (laughs) and they don't always match up. The story that we write for our life is often a lot different than the story that God writes for our lives. Joseph was the man with the plan, and his plan was finally coming together. He had a good career. He was a carpenter there in the small town of Nazareth. A carpenter in Jesus' day did much more than just woodwork. A carpenter in Jesus' day probably most closely paralleled a contractor to our own time. A carpenter would build farm equipment, he would build furniture, he would also do stonework. There weren't a lot of trees in Nazareth, and so the carpenter would often build things out of stone. And so Joseph was an absolutely indispensable part of that community as a carpenter, and he had established himself in his career. And so now he was engaged. He had a beautiful young woman by the name of Mary who was beautiful not only outwardly, but inwardly as well. She had a strength of character. She loved the Lord. She loved people. And he was going to get to marry her. And so Joseph and Mary, they were planning their life together. He was probably busy planning the wedding, doing what grooms do when they're planning a wedding. He was buying airline tickets for the honeymoon. He was getting fit for a tux. He was going through the teeth whitening treatments that grooms have to go through these days. And, and, you know, he was doing workouts five days a week so he'd be good and buff for the wedding. I mean, he was looking forward to his life with Mary, and they were going to have a quiet little life outside of the big city in the tranquil, one-camel, dusty town known as Nazareth. Nobody would really know much about them, but they would be happy. They would love each other. He would operate the carpenter shop, and they would live happily ever after. And then suddenly, his world came crashing down. Mary is pregnant, and it's not his baby. Not only is it not his baby, but it's from the Lord. That's hard to believe. In order to help Joseph believe, the Lord appeared to him with an angel and calmed him down and comforted him. But I would imagine in many ways, Joseph felt like his world was falling down around him. Have you ever had a point in your life where your world just came crashing down? You ever gone through that kind of time? In September of 2001, in about a 15-day period of time, uh, we experienced uh, the news that we may never have children. We may never have a family. <laughs> they proved to be wrong on that one. We, <laughs> we got lots of them now. We get out of the car. It's kind of like a clown car coming out of the car, you know. But we're in the Four No More Club, okay? So don't get, don't get worried. I don't have an announcement to make. But, you know, we, we received, we received uh, you're like, well, you have one every year. I figure it's, uh, we, we received that news. Well, right after we received that news, we, we found out Stacy's mom had breast cancer. 
And then we, we experienced what the country experienced with September 11th and the terrorist attacks. And you remember those of us that were alive back then. You remember that was an extremely traumatic time. And on the heels of that, we got word that my, my dad had to have triple bypass heart surgery. So all that happened to us in about 15 days. And it just felt like life was falling down around me. It just felt like everywhere I turned, there was going to be some overwhelming news. And I know that I'm not alone. You've had periods in your life like that. So remember how you felt. Remember how you felt when your world came crashing down? I would imagine that in a lot of ways, that's how Mary and Joseph felt. God speaks to both of them, and He reveals, I have a plan. Not only do I have a plan, but you're going to get to play a big role in my plan. And then Mary, miraculously, and the virgin birth of Mary is not simply a young woman who gave birth, but the virgin birth of Mary is a miraculous birth. She becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to Jesus. But you know what? I I think that when Mary got pregnant, there was probably a lot of people that didn't believe her. I mean, would you believe someone that came up and said, hey, I'm pregnant, and I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit? It probably ruined both Mary and Joseph's reputation. People looked on them in that culture. They would look on them with disdain. And so they go through the pregnancy, and they're coming up to the end of the pregnancy, and then the Caesar of Rome declares that he's going to take a census. Now, that brought with it two hardships. You couldn't go online and register for the census. You had to go back to the town of your birth. So imagine Joseph coming in and telling Mary at nine months pregnant, hey, we're going on a road trip. We're headed back to Bethlehem. And a census in Roman days was kind of a fancy way of saying, we're going to find out who you are and we're going to get more money from you. Everybody loves paying taxes, right? And so they were going to have to travel back to Bethlehem and pay more taxes. So they go on this road trip, and Mary is given the Cadillac of donkeys to ride upon, okay? And she's riding on the donkey uh, on this road trip, great with child. How many of you ladies would love to travel on a donkey across mountains nine months pregnant? In the process of this, she goes into labor, okay? Uh, So maybe the water broke. I don't know. She goes into labor. Joseph's like, I'll get us a place to stay. They're arriving at Bethlehem. He gets there, and all the rooms are full. None of this is going the way that she probably wrote it in her baby journal, okay? I would imagine by the time that Joseph found some space in the manger, they were not singing away in the manger. Away. It was crisis mode, okay? And so then she goes through the the birth, and, and she gives birth to Jesus. And then shortly thereafter, the wise men come, give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they discover that King Herod, the ruler of Israel, their homeland, wants to kill their baby. And so they have to flee their country, and they become refugees in Egypt. Thank God for the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because God used those gifts to sustain Joseph and Mary, while they were refugees away from their land, living in Egypt. So Joseph and Mary, at some point in this whole story, 
had to say to themselves, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't how I envisioned it. All we did is we just wanted to get married. But God had a bigger plan than they could envision. How do you respond in your life when God sends you into something that you didn't sign up for? How do you respond to God whenever His plan is different than what you envisioned? Do you whine? But God, this isn't what I wanted. Do you get angry? Okay, God, I'll show you. You're going to do this to me? (laughs) I just won't go to church. I won't give. I'm not reading your book anymore, okay? I'll show you. Boy, that really shows the God of the universe, doesn't it? But sometimes we get angry and we say, okay, God, I'll show you. Sometimes we just get apathetic. And this perhaps is the most dangerous reaction of them all because you continue to go through the, rea- you go through the motions. You come to church, you continue to try to be a Christian and do the right thing, but you, you lose heart. You don't really care anymore, you don't feel anymore, you become emotionally numb, and you're just kind of apathetic. Whenever we open the Word of God and we study the truth of God, it doesn't land in your heart because your heart has grown cold and hard, and you're just apathetic or do you respond with faith a person of faith is faithful and when God calls us into a season that we do not envision we trust God that he knows more than we do we trust God that even though this may be difficult for us we are going to respond in such a way that we honor God and we try to bring glory to his name Now, I would not pretend to know what you've gone through in life. And I would not pretend to know the depth of your sorrow and the pain that many of us feel within our hearts. I am aware of this, that behind the smiles sits a lot of difficulty. Pain is a common denominator of humankind. All of us go through difficulty. All of us have struggle. All of us have pain. But I do want to remind you of something today. And that is that God loves you. He loves you. You mean something to Him. And He doesn't call us to understand it all. But He does call us to trust Him. And often, just when we feel like everything is falling apart around us, God's plan is actually coming together. And so if you find yourself in the middle of the storm right now, don't be afraid. Calm your spirit. Trust God. He has a plan. He has a will. He is at work. And you get to be a part of His plan. And sometimes the sufferings of our life are used by God to draw other people to Him. Well, in our story, the cattle are lowing. And the stars are looking down. It's a cold winter night where the cries of labor have given way to the cries of joy. Mary and Joseph are welcoming Jesus into this world and getting to know their little boy. And the photographer has just arrived because it's time to take the nativity picture. Now, this is an important picture. 
because this picture is going to be on Christmas cards for centuries to come. We've all seen the nativity picture, right? This picture is even going to be put, the silhouettes of this picture are going to be put in people's front yards at Christmas time for centuries. This is a huge picture. You've got to make sure that you get this one right. Talk about pressure. And so there's the ruffian shepherds trying to make themselves presentable for the picture. I mean, these guys live outside. They lay in the fields watching the sheep. They're dirty. They're smelly. And they're supposed to be in this picture that people are going to see for centuries. Not only that, they're a little bit worried because they left their sheep out in the field all alone. And here they are meeting the Christ child, but what if a wolf is eating their sheep? And then you have Mary and Joseph, and they're smiling with joy, although none of this was what they envisioned. Their life has taken turns that they could have never imagined. And then you have the three kings of Orient, and they're texting the photographer, asking if there's any way they can be photoshopped into the picture, because they didn't really show up in the manger. That's just a little bit of Christmas trivia. But somehow they want to get credit for being there, and they want to be a part of the nativity photograph. And so there's the photographer trying to get the sheep to look at the camera, trying to get the cows to look at the camera. She's got all the different stuffed animals up there trying to get everybody to look at the camera, and all we have here is a bunch of disarray. None of this seems like it makes sense. And then the camera clicks, and suddenly it all comes together. And there's this iconic picture that we know as the nativity scene where the plan of God, envisioned by the prophets of old, comes together there in the manger of Bethlehem. It's not an accident. All these different avenues came together into this one point of eternity. And the amazing thing about the plan of God is that you get to be a part of it. For every sermon, I try to narrow down the goal to a simple prayer. And if you are a Christian today, my prayer for you is that you will experience the spiritual freedom that occurs when you quit trying to squeeze God into your life's plan and instead place your life into His plan. There's an amazing freedom that occurs whenever you begin to realize you're not the star of the show. God's the star of the show. And your life exists to make much of Him. And so there's a singleness of purpose that a Christian can live with And that is, you seek to bring glory to God in everything in your life. Whether it's your attitude, your actions, the words that you speak. It can tremendously free you in your marriage. I want to treat my spouse in a way that brings glory to God. I want to respond to situations in ways that brings glory to God. It's not about me, it's about Him. It frees you to see your community in a different way. Because whenever you walk the dog around the neighborhood, you no longer see those houses just as scenery, but you realize there are people in those houses that God loves, and my life can be a part of the story of God in their lives. Whenever you go to work, you begin to realize that this is an opportunity for me to use my life to be a part of the story of God. 
I teach school. I, I work in that hospital. I, I design those buildings, and, and that is how I provide for my family, and I eat, and I have shelter, and I have the things that God has blessed me with, but it's also a way that I'm able to give to the church and give to missions and have my resources be a part of what God is doing around the world. And as I go out into my job and into my communities and into this world, I also meet people, people that are hurting people that have a story, people that are loved by God, and I can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in their life because I have a singleness of purpose, and that is to glorify God in all things. There is an incredible freedom that occurs when you live with the simplicity of seeking to glorify God in every area of your life. Here at Christmas time, we often have a lot of guests that come. And so you may be here and you're from out of town, you're a guest. Maybe you don't really consider yourself a religious person. But you're here at church and you feel, you feel God speaking to you. You feel God stirring your heart. Maybe for whatever reason you've been turning to God of late and, 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 and you've, you've been trying to learn more and understand more about who God is and what His plan is and where you fit in and all that, I want you to know today, before you were ever born, God had a plan for your life. And God's plan for your life is for you to be a part of His story. You see, His story begins before Bethlehem. He created you, and He made everything that we enjoy here. And He created you as a custom-made creation There's not more than one of you. Thank God there's not more than one of you. You're a custom-made creation of God. But God also sent His Son, and His Son took on flesh and became a man. And the God-man, Jesus, lived among us. He lived a life that none of us could live. You see, each of our lives are stained by sin. We do things that are wrong. You say, not me. I don't do anything wrong. Well, you just got prideful. You just did something wrong, okay? Join the rest of us. We're all sinners. But Jesus lives a life that none of us could. Whenever he died on the cross, it was not simply the death of a good moral teacher who ran afoul with the mighty Roman Empire. The Bible teaches us that whenever he died on the cross, it was the Son of God dying for our sins. He took on God's wrath for your sin. He took it upon himself. The Creator became the Redeemer, and he died for your sins and mine. Each of us have an appointment with death. And whenever we die, that's the end. We don't come back to life. But not in Jesus' case. He overcame death. And then he says to people, those who believe in me can have everlasting life. Those who believe in me can have forgiveness for your past, purpose for your present, and hope for your future. You see, Jesus doesn't just call you to follow a set of moral teachings. Jesus calls you to follow Him, to place your faith in Him as your Savior and Lord. And when we talk about Christmas and all the gifts of Christmas, they're all meant to symbolize the greatest gift, the gift of Christ, that God intervened into our scenes so that we might be redeemed. He gave us His Son, and He calls us to trust in Him as Savior and Lord. And so I want to invite you today, 
if there's never been that time in your life when you've trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord to make this your moment. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads? and Our heads are bowed throughout the room. And if you're here today, and today needs to be your moment, where you receive the gift of Christmas and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, I would just invite you to pray something like this right where you are. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I need salvation. I ask for your forgiveness and I place my faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him as my Savior, as my Lord. I pray that you will change me from the inside out. Birth within me a new heart so that I might love you and follow you and be a part of your story. Lord, today is my day of salvation where I trust in Christ. Please save me. Pray that prayer in the name of Jesus. Our heads are still bowed, but I do want to ask this question. If today was your day of salvation, would you just look up at me and allow me to make eye contact with you? I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. Today is your day of salvation, trusting in Christ as Savior and Lord. I'd love to be a pastor to you. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized, how you can follow Christ, how you can know him more and more. And your life can be a part of his story. Come talk to me. I'll be here at the front during this next service. or this next song. I'll be here at the front in between services. Talk to people that you know that walk with Christ. Because we're here to encourage you. As a church family, let's stand together at this time. Musicians are going to play this Christmas hymn and we're going to sing with them.